G'day everyone and welcome to episode 89 of Double Jump Radio, the official podcast of DoubleJump.co. I'm your host, Bia, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, John and Kai. John, how you doing? I'm good. Um, I think we're a joint person. <laughs> Gosh, <did> that. <laughs> joint co-host. Um, no, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing fine. What about yourself, Kai? I'm Griffith's own. Premier Games Journalist of Griffith, New South Wales. I'm I'm doing just fine as well. How are, how are you, Amir? You always introduce the show. I worry about you. Who's, ask, who's asking how's a beer? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, yes, I'm I'm doing all right. Still still looking for a job. It's all good. I'm sure something will happen. Worst case, I'll I'll go uh, work at Macca's and scream at everyone about why they should be running games at you know <laughs> with with at, at 60 frames per second if they can please <laughs> <Good. laughs> i just wanted to flurry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean at least like i, I mean I, i'll do it for free but at least i'll get paid for it this way <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're already spending some time doing that so you might as well <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly right exactly that's what they say if you Turn your passion into your job, yeah. you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> uh, well, uh, how about we uh, kick things off by talking about some of the big news that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. John, we've, we've had quite a bit of development from the the Microsoft slash Activision Blizzard King acquisition, both in the US and the UK. What's going on? Um, basically, it's kind of done with, more or less. It's not quite completed, the acquisition and everything that goes into it, but it's like, you know, closest it's ever been to actually ending with the acquisition actually being approved and finalized. So, yeah, we're a step before that. But to kind of run through the events that have happened over the last couple of weeks that led us to this point. First, on July 11, Microsoft was allowed to complete the Activision Blizzard acquisition in the US. Um, this happened mm. because the Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC in the US, um, they were denied an injunction, injunction to block the deal in the US. Um, injunction being, which I actually wasn't super sure on myself, um, the, the, an injunction is... Um, equates to a temporarily um, temporary blocking of the deal ahead of the FTC's case to prevent the acquisition entirely. So it's yeah, mm. so it, basically it's a temporary block. Later would become yeah. the, you know, entire permanent block of the deal, um, which is scheduled for August. Um, that's when the actual case would go ahead. Um, so therefore yeah. the um, this means that Microsoft can actually go ahead with closing the deal before the July eighteenth deadline. And we're actually recording mm. this. Yeah, so that's that. What that's what happened on July 11. Um, so the deadline for July 18, that meant that if Microsoft didn't actually complete the, tr the acquisition by July 18, July 18, um, Microsoft would have to pay Activision Blizzard $3 billion and also renegotiate the deal. And this is also yeah. a self-imposed deadline by Microsoft and Activision. So this isn't something that has to be, has to happen and could 
Um, they could negotiate an extension, um, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, mm. On July 11 as well, and the following day, uh, Microsoft um, was allowed to they Microsoft was allowed to modify the Activision Blizzard acquisition to address the CMA's concerns. The CMA being the um, like the equivalent the, of the FTC. Yeah, like the institution in the um, the UK that is doing basically the same thing the FTC does, where they're trying to manage corporate interests and um, actions. And in their case, they're mm. trying to block the Activision Blizzard deal as well. So um, they were due, Microsoft was due in the in court against the CMA again in... Um, <laughs> I wrote my notes in a way that's actually hard to just, <laughs> just say it <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, to be fair, there's a lot that's happened. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, so Microsoft is due to face the CMA in court again. Um, this was followed a um, month or two ago when this all happened, when they decided to block the deal initially. Um, mm. Yeah, so they were meant to face the CMA again on July 24th. Um, however, both parties have agreed to pause the process um, while Microsoft kind of modifies the deal to mostly probably address the cloud um, gaming concerns because that was a big part of why CMA blocked the deal in the first place. Um, so some quotes from first from Brad Smith, who's the vice chair and president of Microsoft, said, quote, while we ultimately disagree with the CMA's concerns, we are considering how the transaction might be modified in order to address those concerns in a way that is acceptable to the CMA. Um, CMA then issued a statement the following day where they basically said that they are willing to hear the the changes, the modifications to um, to the acquisition agreement, but that they um, quote CMA's decision set out and its final report still stands. So they're not really backtracking so much as they're just you know hearing out Microsoft to see if it actually aligns with what they'd prefer the acquisition to be, I suppose, and actually accept mm. it go through. On July 13, the FTC appeals um, against the court ruling that prevented the injunction against Xbox. Um, yeah, that's what happened on July 13. Uh, and then also on July 13, Activision Blizzard um, was um, was being removed from the four NASDAQ indexes, basically in pre preparation for Activision Blizzard to be acquired by Microsoft. So not much. Well, it, like it's just a you know ongoing progression of this acquisition. Mm. Um, on July 14, um, the UK regulator extends the deadline on the final decision, the CMA's final decision over the acquisition. This is basically just what I said earlier, except it was actually agreed to. So um, the way CMA and Microsoft were trying to find an agreement, or like you know Microsoft were modifying their terms to align with what the CMA would uh, agree to. So, um, mm. yes, yeah, so the CMA was expected to block the deal formally on July 18, but Microsoft has since submitted a, quote, detailed and complex proposal that says there's been changes in circumstances and that um, CMA should not adopt its plans to block the deal as a result and blah, blah, blah. Revised pro period will now end on August 29, so there's been a... So that will be when the CMA makes some sort of conclusion to whether they will block this acquisition entirely or not. Yeah. In the UK. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, July 15, FTC, um, they were denied their appeal to, um, to block the acquisition, like their injunction, their appeal to the injunction um, <laughs> uh, denial was subsequently denied. So therefore, the FTC has, um, there's no longer any chance that they can actually prevent this merger from happening in the US specifically before July 18 or just in general um, before the August court trial. Um, so they, so FTC can still hold its administrative hearing, or it's just court case against um, this deal in August. Um, but Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft can still ask the FTC to drop this challenge on the basis that is no longer in their public interest when this happens. Assuming that you know this is based on the idea that the merger will happen very soon, and therefore mm. by the time this case trial actually happens. It just wouldn't be worth the effort anymore. So this is... Um, oh, also, I just mentioned... I should have mentioned earlier. Um, all this information and analysis comes from GameIndustry.biz. Um, they kind of break down some of the court um, details. So in this case, they also talk about how... What would it take for FTC to actually still block the acquisition kind of in retrospect? So this basically means that um, if they still wanted to fight the deal, they'll need to force a divestiture... <laughs> I'm not sure how to say that quite well. Divestiture. Yeah. Um, This would be a court order that basically forces Microsoft to sell off either ABK or the Call of Duty franchise or whatever else that they deem uh, just, I guess, threatening to the corporate economic landscape or however wording they use to say that this acquisition shouldn't go ahead or exist. Because the thing to note is that in the UK... The CMA blocked the deal on the uh, on the basis of Microsoft. Like it would create a monopoly over the cloud gaming market. Whereas in the US, the the argument between the FTC and Microsoft and, and ABK has predominantly been ab- around the future of Call of Duty and Call of Duty being such a huge uh, like uh, property for in terms of you know market share in the in the industry. Mm. Yeah, it's like both US and UK have like you know, independent takes, like angles on this whole exhibition. Either way, they'd be made to break up their monopoly over some element of the gaming industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, July 16, following this, um, Microsoft and Sony have finally entered a, quote, binding agreement to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation after this acquisition is basically confirmed to be going ahead and like to be completed um the deal this is kind of the agreement that nvidia and nintendo and a bunch of other companies agree to except it's kind of sony specific and it's got some intricacies in that case so first deal lasts for 10 years Um, the deal only applies to call of duty and not to other activision blizzard titles um this is different to a number of other deals that it's been making lately where those all apply to all activision blizzard titles in Sony's case, it's only Call of Duty. But this is also different and arguably better for Sony than the previous deal that Microsoft offered Sony. Um, so this was originally offered on or proposed on January, January 31st last year. Um, Microsoft initially offered to, quote, keep all Activision console titles on Sony, including 
or consoles, including feature versions in the Call of Duty franchise or any other current Activision franchises on Sony through December 23rd, 2027. So this would have been four years, or no, five years-ish. From that time, time. Yeah. yeah. Like almost seven, almost six years from that point in time. Yeah. So basically, they get a 10-year deal, but only on Call of Duty and not on whatever else Activision own, like Diablo or Overwatch or whatever else. Is if Call of Duty it. is still relevant in 10 years from today, we are, have we failed as, <laughs> as a media? <laughs> I guess. I don't think there's any reason to think it won't be there. Um, it was like, Oh, like, could you imagine that? Like, in 20, 2023... Uh, sorry, that in 2033, the the people, like, who's like, oh, I remember... You know, you'll have multiple generations of people who played Call of Duty, a game called Call of Duty Modern Warfare. That's scary. <laughs> your, my, your grandfather fought in the first Modern Warfare. <laughs> uh, the franchise has lived 20 years. I didn't see a reason for mm. it not to not to still be kicking ten years from now. <laughs> mm, true, true. We'll, we'll get the like the Criterion Collection style documentary or something. You know the <laughs> heritage listed COD games. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Sorry, John. That's <laughs> no, okay. Um, on July eighteen, uh, Microsoft's UK um, appeal for Activision, like their modified terms um mm. they basically went through as um microsoft and cma requested so now the um sort of the try like the cma's uh, investigation has been paused for two months to basically let them go through the modified agreement um and just yeah make a more comprehensive um decision on these change mm. terms um, so um, David Bailey, one of the law- lawyers for the CMA, he said, quote, based on the discussion to date, both sides, Microsoft and the CMA, have confidence that Microsoft notifying a restructured transaction is capable of addressing the concerns that the CMA has identified. Um, yeah, so not much there, just that that one, that pause has been confirmed and it's happening. Mm. Um, and then on July 18 as well, Microsoft and Activision agree to extend the acquisition deadline to October 18. And um, yeah, so that was announced by Activision alongside its latest financial results. Um, so this means that the Activ- if the acquisition does not go through by October, October 18, later this year, Microsoft will need to pay a termination fee that was originally $3 billion has now been upgraded to 3.5 billion if the deal is cancelled after August 29, and up to 4.5 billion if it is scrapped or expires after September 15. So basically, raising the stakes for this more or less definitely happening deal. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, just kind of I'm sure it's expected in a bunch of ways, but yeah. yeah. News. It, it does sound like the deal is now going through. It's just a matter of defining some specifics and sorting yeah. out details. Mm. Yeah, specifically how much will Bobby Kotick get paid? Lots. For orchestrating this. Um, yeah. That and how much will the CMA's lawyers get paid? Yeah. <laughs> CMA's like, we, we get paid regardless. 
They throw like a big bag of cash onto a table and start pushing <laughs> files out towards each other. Um, yeah. That's how I think so, these, oh, these yeah. deals should be done. <laughs> a big bag with a funny sign on it. <laughs> Get everyone involved in one of those big plexiglass boxes with the fans that shoot the money up in the air. <laughs> they can all grab some and that's what they get. If you get the little bit of paper that says Activision Blizzard, you did it. You get the company. <laughs> Everyone comes nice. to the Today Show and says hello to the cash cow, whatever that thing was. <laughs> Maybe what they need to do is there needs to be like a game show style competition where each of the, the the executives, you know, Bobby Kotick, Mark, uh, you know, Phil Spencer, Jim Ryan, have to duke it out and play, like challenge each other in rounds of their respective companies, like top games, and like whoever wins the, like the most, that that's who gets the like you know, the the deciding vote. I think. Like, hear me <laughs> out, all right? Deal or no deal, but all the briefcases <laughs> instead of money, they have different companies. <laughs> you, you, you pay your fee to go on the show, and then you just see how you go. Just like, oh, the uh, the bank has offered you Embracer Group. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like, damn it, I wanted Sega. <laughs> the top, the top prize is Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nintendo declined to participate in this event. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, maybe no. that's a joke. It turns out that no, Nin- it's me, the bank is just Nintendo. Nintendo's hosting because <laughs> they're just they're just <laughs> watching. They've got nothing it's to lose. Miyamoto smiling. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go into it. like I think just because we've been talking about it for like so long, I feel almost like obligated to say so. But it's just like I'm. I mean, like I'm still not happy about this. Obviously, I don't think anyone should yeah. be. But I actually, like, in hindsight, I do feel like I was feeling a bit too... I, I think part of it is, like, the court trial case, like, details coming out of it, out of um, out of this whole thing. But, like, I don't feel as strongly about it now. Like, it still shouldn't be happening, and I still... But it's, like, I think one thing that kind of I've thought since is that it's, like, this wouldn't be happening if Microsoft had did a... I mean, maybe it would be, but like a big part of why this is happening is because Microsoft has done such a bad job of being a major publisher over the last while. You know, it's like, because like uh, they've like a lot of their brands have like gone to, you know, just kind of taper off into relative mediocrity or like they're just not huge brands anymore. And so they've kind of like, I like that's how I see it. Like maybe I'm wrong, but it's just like they don't really have any like powerhouse brands anymore for xbox specifically and it feels like this is microsoft's way of buying them up buying this is them this is <laughs> what i'm hearing is that this is this is the time for blinks the cat to return and save xbox that's what i'm hearing <laughs> that's what you're hearing <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I don't know i'm um, i'm gonna disagree yeah. i think this would be happening either way because mm-hmm. microsoft is a big company and the nature of capitalism is that it must consume. So it has yeah. to be buying other studios, whether the ones that's already got it doing well or not. No, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I guess I meant more as in like, it doesn't feel as 
um, much of a like I call it like sea change, I guess in in my mind now, because <laughs> it doesn't feel yeah. like if does it like I don't know. These are all just like this is just me being opinionated, <laughs> but it's like it feels like um, Microsoft in hindsight aren't nearly as big a deal as they maybe could have been since the 360 era and yep. they've let a lot of that initial momentum both because of xbox one's just disaster and otherwise just like they've had like they've just lost so much momentum outside of game pass and game pass isn't a way to like that's like a netflix wave style way of trying to gain um yeah. what do you call it like favor or uh, like trying to increase the player base that they lost during the Xbox One generation, something like that. But it's more like yeah. it's like a big, massively expensive way of increasing their cash in the industry, and yeah. you know, like in the way, the same way Netflix is kind of like just it's something where most mm. people will want it and have it regardless of whether they really use it that much. Like Game Pass yeah. is trying to fit become that in the game industry, so they eventually, yeah. Oh, no, I don't have the words today, I think. <laughs> either way. <laughs> either way. It, oh, go ahead. What, so they can eventually start showing ads anyway and then eliminate password yeah. sharing. <laughs> yeah. <Move>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, and I think it's important to note that like during the trial, the respective trials, Microsoft talked a lot about, you know, Microsoft really presented itself as the underdog. You know, yeah. you know the 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 up the you know Sony's just battering them like like literally de- depicting themselves as being like destroyed by Sony in, in the in the the console market and also including Nintendo in that as well. And Microsoft points to the fact that a lot of the like the switch to digital licensing and and building a digital library, the concept of that was really became common. It started in the Xbox 360 generation, but it became commonplace during the Xbox One and PS4 generation, right? So when you had so many people moving from Xbox 360 to PlayStation 4, and then, you know, they bought hundreds, you know, they bought their games library online in the PlayStation ecosystem and then moved that, a lot of those games across to the PS5, maybe they, and also not to mention, you know, years of, getting quote-unquote free games as part of PlayStation Plus, Microsoft point to the, points to the fact that, you know, it quote, it needs the Activision Blizzard library to create that catalogue and catch up to Sony because it, it lost, you know, one generation and now, like, seemingly a second generation in terms of, uh, like, a, the, the player base. Mm. Well, there's, there's, I don't know if it forgives it, but I'm just saying. There's an argument to be made that, that Game Pass should make up for that. Because if the reason people mm. aren't going to switch from PlayStation to Xbox is they're afraid of losing their the games they've already got, and with backwards compatibility, that's valid. But Game mm. Pass, that has all those games, should be fine then, because you'll have them on the new console. A modest yeah. monthly fee, and it's on Microsoft for not having compelling library to make people to have made people 
choose to have an Xbox One and now an Xbox Series console, right? Yeah. You know, you can, you can, you know, we might criticize the various tiers of PlayStation Plus and the extra tiers where you get access to the back catalog of games, but Sony, I mean, whether it's deserved or not, Sony did a lot of work to create, you know, a back catalog of a lot of single player, like tentpole releases, like Last of Us, God of War, uh, the Horizon games, you know, even Gran Turismo, like games that people actually look at and say, oh, when I think PlayStation, I think of these massive games that I need to have played and I could only play them on PlayStation. Whereas Microsoft didn't, it didn't, it had it had the resources, but it didn't create the games that people would want to go back and play and own an Xbox for. And I think that's on Microsoft. Yeah, you know? no, yeah. I, I like, think you're absolutely right. They're all, you know, bitching and moaning about how Sony's cut them out of the market and how they can't compete with Nintendo. They could have competed yeah. with Nintendo. They could have competed with Sony. They bollocksed it up. Mm. Why should they be just given permission to just buy shit to make <laughs> yeah. up the deficit? You should have done better yeah. back in 2013. Yeah, exactly. Like that is <laughs> that is definitely what I was trying to say and failing to. Basically, is that they've done such a like so yeah, it's like, but... yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look what you've done, Microsoft. You've broken, John. You've broken, John. I'm already so sad, and they made now, it worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> now this episode is off to a poor start, so we should get Activision oh, no. Blizzard. To help us bring be no, an argument. No, but it's like it's like you you guys just laid it out a lot better than I did, which is like that both Nintendo and Sony have a lot like have created a catalogs of like killer apps basically and Xbox yep. really haven't. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like I think that's a long and short of it almost, or it's just like they went out to go buy Starfield and Elder Scrolls and Fallout and now now Call of Duty and Blizzard titles to try and like yep make up for their lack of it <laughs> and it's like exactly. it, it's gonna it's gonna work a little bit but it's like after how poorly they've really seemed to work as kind of producers and uh studio holders you know with yeah. like with Zenimax and bethesda and like the numerous games that just have had so much trouble in development with Redfall. I know, but it's we like what's the were, other we were one? We were all thinking it. <laughs> no, but it's like what's the other one we talked about yeah. last time? They, um, I forget the name for it. Like the Goldeneye type game, uh, Perfect Dark. Oh, a Perfect Dark. That's gone yeah. through so much <laughs> trouble, and it's still so far away. And like Everwild, and like all these games that have been going through so yeah. much trouble. And that's not necessarily on Microsoft, but there's such a long history of it within such a short period of time. But, <laughs> like think about it. A lot of those troubles are going back to Halo Master Chief Collection, which came out in 2014, right? So that was like one of those big Xbox One new games because I think, you know how Microsoft, like Phil Spencer always talked about, oh, you know, we acquire these studios, but we're hands off. And then maybe that isn't the right thing to do. You know, when it seems like when Sony acquires studios, Sony, to some extent, wants to ensure that there's some sort of, you know, quality assurance that they're like, you know, we will give you the extra time, we will give you the marketing money, but we want to ensure that the game is going to be really good. And for the most part, I think all those major PlayStation releases, you know, the God of Wars and things like that, have reviewed well and have been good games. Whereas Microsoft, with its very much hands-off approach, that approach hasn't worked for nine years now, right? So... 
I think, you know, Phil Spencer admitted recently that, you know, about Redfall, oh, we should have had a more of a hands-on approach. It's like, that took you two gener- almost two generations of consoles to figure out. Like, I don't necessarily think that acquiring Activision will solve anything because the underlying problem is that Microsoft itself acquires studios but doesn't... Like, the advantage of getting acquired is that you get access to new resources, a lot of learnings, and, you know, there's shared, like, you know... There's a, sh- for example, they own ZeniMax, which owns Bethesda, which owns uh, its software. Its software has a very robust game engine that games like Doom, Doom Eternal, uh, like the Wolfenstein games, the Rage, like they've done, like they are technically solid. They run well. They even run on the goddamn Switch and pretty decently. Like, whereas a company like, you know, like when EA acquires, you know, DICE, it, it spreads the Frostbite engine that runs everything from Battlefield to Need for Speed to, you know, to uh, FIFA, right? So there's some teething issues, but you eventually get the advantage of scaling up and having that, you know, that corporate oversight and those resources. But I feel like Microsoft hasn't really prov- like given that benefit to any of its studios. Well, from what we've seen as in terms of output, right? So, just because you're acquiring Activision Blizzard, I don't think it's going to have... I don't think it's actually going to have a positive impact for gamers because Activision Blizzard isn't necessarily revolutionizing with new ideas or anything like that, right? Microsoft's getting Call of Duty, which it's going to use to kind of prop up the Xbox side of things, which is only which is only as good as the Call of Duty games are received. Like, if if the Call of Duty games are consistently bad, the value of the brand goes away and they've spent all this money and they're going to get nothing out of it. What I think that Microsoft could be really smart about is when you're acquiring a brand like Activision that goes back to the, you know, the original Atari, there are a lot of, like, classic genre... There's a lot of, maybe, IP that it could, you know... Microsoft might be like, hey, let's give these... Uh, like these dormant franchises, another shot. Let's get some new young talent to try tackle these games, right? Maybe that's another thing that we may not have considered is all that, you know, dormant kind of IP, you know, like we saw with Crash Bandicoot a few years ago, you know, Activision on that had made that happen. And that was pretty cool. Um, imagine doing that with like Pitfall or, you know, some other classic Activision uh, property. Centipede. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I did just want to okay. want to jump in here and note that we're we're talking a lot about how PlayStation has those killer apps. Their exclusives are all great. They are not all great. Yes. We're remembering the really good ones that I reviewed. <laughs> well, Days Gone is. That... Yeah, Days Gone. Did, it, did anyone? I think play that one did well. Order eighteen sixty six or eighty six. Days Gone is reviewed well, but it didn't sell well. No, it's the opposite. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, reviewed poorly it and it did it actually sold okay over time like it, like i don't know it didn't but it's just like that actually wasn't enough for sony to make another one apparently yeah. my well, there's, there's... very close family friend actually really likes days gone oh Woo. yeah shout, out, very, shout out uh, to that guy it has a very uh loud fan base at times yes. <laughs> a beer's friend is the one guy saying boo words to days gone yelling <laughs> <laughs> anyway. yeah 
know, but there was there yeah, was Babylon's fall yeah. last year. No one played or reviewed that. No one cared. Wait, was, was that a Sony? Yeah, Babylon's Fall. Was it a Sony Play- Studio? Oh, about PlayStation exclusive. Oh no, that's Square Enix, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was Square Enix and yeah. Platinum Games. Yeah, yeah, but Sony made. Me. I, I guess. I think it, there was some there, code marketing yeah. thing there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone forgot that. <laughs> that's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was, oh, wait. I was that's thinking... the one that had its servers shut down very quick, quickly, yeah. right? No, I yeah. I yes. forgot about Babylon's Fall. I looked up. Have there been Sony exclusives that bombed? And was reminded that Babylon's Fall existed. <laughs> oh God, that's yeah. So overall, I don't know. Like, I think all three of us are in agreement in in a certain way in saying that this isn't necessarily going to be. This doesn't seem like it's going to be a net positive for the players. Yeah. yeah, like because that—that's definitely what I was trying to get at again. Where it's just like I like in terms of like opening with me saying that I don't feel as strongly about it now because like when mm. I think about it, Microsoft have been you know they have such a yeah like a, a, we've just gone on through it already. But it's just like it yeah. doesn't feel like as disruptive a sea change in the industry. It yeah. like absolutely is, but it doesn't feel yeah it just doesn't feel disruptive in the way I was kind of imagining it. I think it maybe yeah. maybe eventually because I think mm. the CMA's take on it, game streaming being a major thing eventually isn't the wrong one yeah. but i also may Just have been over mess overestimating it that idea yeah. a little bit in my head mm. so so right now i'm not feeling quite as frustrated yeah. by this happening but i still don't like it obviously so that's yeah just a anyway, we have we have talked about this for a while it's been a lot <laughs> to one, go on yeah so from from that to something <laughs> one, that one, might be yeah. a bit more of a positive change for the consumers B- before we go on before we go, I'm so sorry, Kai. <laughs> uh, I'll just say the one thing that might change, the one thing that the one thing that might change things for the better is if Microsoft, if Phil Spencer goes in, does a hands-on approach and re- and like cleans out the Activision, you know, like the 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 management at the top that have created this kind of like you know assembly line style of video game development and created the hostile environment, the toxic work culture. I think that'll take you know years to properly sort. But if Microsoft wants to get the most value for its money, it has to put in the work to clean up Activision and make it in, back into the innovative like game publisher that it used to be. Right? I think that's the only way. But they paid for the good. factory. <laughs> they paid for the money factory that it is. <laughs> I know, but if you can change the, you know. It, like okay, in my in my crooked analogy, if if you if you change the management of the factory, maybe you can bring in new people who will think of new ways to use all the machinery and then the, and the tools that are already there and create stuff that's cool and like really neat. Because there's talent there. It's just you know maybe being pushed in a certain direction that isn't like as innovative as we'd like it to be. That's that's all I was gonna say to add on. Yeah. After half an hour. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Kai. Yeah. I ruined your, your nice segue. I had, I had a really nice segue. Let's try again. So from that to something that is a little bit more of a positive for consumers. Abir, what's happening with UK loot boxes? Yeah, so our uh, friends over at the Association for UK Interactive Entertainment, or Yuki for short, has announced that... Uh, it's, it has announced a set of principles, a set of 11 principles uh, that, uh, you know, 
based on, I guess, curation, based on research and based on input from various different UK games industry stakeholders, uh, that it thinks will provide a, 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 a solid level of guidance when it comes to paid loot boxes. Uh, this follows on from multiple years of the UK and the EU putting, uh, you know, taking game developers and publishers to task about the 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 prominence and the like kind of the misleading and i, I guess some of the pr- the the dark practices around paid loot boxes within games now the whole point of this principle is to create um quote industry-led solutions to restrict the ability for under 18s to purchase a loot box unless first approved by a guardian and to provide all players with access to and greater awareness um you know of controls and things like that to quote support safe and responsible play so sounds good so far now the principles are number one they want to make sure that uh that technological controls to restrict people who are under 18 from um getting a loot box without a guardian or parent knowing about it they want to make those controls uh effective number two to drive awareness uh, of and and make sure more people are using these technical uh, tech, uh, technological controls, uh, and they want to do it through regular communication, starting with a, a public information kind of uh, campaign starting this month. Number three, form an expert panel um, to talk about you know age assurances in the games industry and making sure that you know people of the right people are that the controls that are put in place about age restriction actually doing their job uh number four to disclose the presence of loot boxes and before you know a player purchases a game or or downloads a game number five to give clear probability disclosures and this is to ensure that players can easily access clear and simple information on the probability that they'll get certain items which is i think this is already something that china put into place a few years ago but now it's being expanded to uh you know the UK. I believe also Belgium had something in place, um, but I think uh, something similar. Uh, number six to design and quote present loot boxes in a manner that is easily understandable. End quote. Um, number seven <laughs> support quote the implementation of the video games research framework to facilitate the creation of better quality driven research. End quote. Uh, number eight. Uh, continue to quote tackle the unauthorized external sale of items end quote that come from these loot boxes that have been uh, acquired by real money and sold for real money um sorry uh number nine would be to quote commit to lenient refund policies end quote so uh, one of the the chief complaints was that even if you accidentally purchase a loot box or once you have purchased a loot box, realized, you know, that it was paid and that it was like a sort of a, a, a form of kind of like a lucky dip to make it easy to actually get a refund for the purchases you made. Uh, number 10, to create advanced protections for players. And number 11, quote, to work with the UK government and other relevant stakeholders to measure the effectiveness of the the previous 10 principles over the next 12 months so yeah i guess it's it's a bit early to see because you know 
that that public camp the first step of this is going to take place this month so i guess in in 12 months time you know you know 2024 september october what you know once we get the actual findings of the the year-long study it'll be interesting to see how effective these principles have been in reducing you know people either buying loot boxes without knowing you know the risks or the payment involved or the awareness among the the parents or the guardians of the kids who who are buying these loot boxes as well as you know how how are these refund policies getting changed are the publishers actually or the the console makers actually implementing any any changes there so it'll be interesting to uh to see what happens in 12 months kai did you did you want to weigh in a little bit i i would love to weigh in thank you uh i think this is a a really good step (laughs) because even if it's just acknowledging that there is an issue um yeah and loot boxes as much as they're a staple, they very much are an issue. Game companies yes. have gotten very good at stoking the little addiction centers of people's brains, uh, especially kids, which mm. becomes a problem. Yes. Um, so even if these principles maybe don't work how how the UK government is hoping they do, I think it's, it's mm. a step in the right direction. The only thing I do note is that it's, very focused on kids and making sure yeah. kids can't spend all their parents' money, making sure companies aren't exploiting kids, which is great. I would like to see a little bit more about the vulnerable adults who can also get addicted. And, yes. And you know, perhaps have even more at stake when they th- can't pay I their rent. L- yeah. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's easier to sell something when it's about protecting children. Yeah. I don't know. I, no, there's, there's a cynical part of me. I mean, even part of my brain, I'm very sympathetic to it. Part of my brain is telling me, well, they made their decisions in terms of adults who spend all their money on loot boxes. Mm. Part of the, Mixing, the worst yeah. part of me is saying, well, they made their decisions. They can, they can cop it. They can live with it. But I am more sympathetic than <laughs> I do think. Yeah. So now boomers will now boomers will say, "Give up your avocado, your smashed avo sandwiches, give up Netflix, and now give up your FIFA loot boxes." That's going to get you a house anywhere in the world. <laughs> right. Uh, no, yeah. I think yeah, you're absolutely right. It's easier to sell any sort of intervention when it's about protecting kids, and realistically, mm. they're the ones who. You should most be protected. Yeah, so. that's that's fair, John. Um, yeah, I was I was wondering because like when I was going through the um, like the info page on the UK, mm. um, what UK IP? Yeah, UK. Um, UK. Yeah, UK. UK. <laughs> Not sure. Um, but yeah, I like I I think I need to go through like the full document to figure it out. But like, uh, it's hard to tell exactly how impactful these are because like they seem to be mostly mm. suggestions um yeah. for the industry more than they are like something to implement and enforce in a real way which is not yeah. inherently bad it's just more it does seem to be more hands-off as yeah a um as a set of principles more than something to like it feels uh, i'm not sure if i'm right but like from the way it's described and the way it's broken down it makes me think that it's more of a set of principles for game industry or game 
publishers and developers to abide by for the sake of potentially uh, evading regulation and yes. targeting by government bodies. It's a lot like what the ESRB, sorry, the ESA did in the 90s to avoid the government from um, from rating video games. They said, hey, government, don't worry. We'll make our own, uh, you know, ratings board, which which was the ESRB, to stave off, you know, kind of government intervention and government oversight and regulation, saying, hey, we'll, we'll look after it. Don't worry, violent video games, all that stuff, we'll make sure people know. But just stay away and get your coffers off our, legis- like, off our, off our, um, you know, guidelines and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, you're right, John. I think this, what to me comes across as something like that. Yeah, no, I agree. We need mm. we need something that actually has some consequences if they break these guidelines. Because yeah. if not, mm. then it's just a it's just a, oh maybe you could think about doing this. <laughs> and the government's going, yeah. yeah, we've thought yeah. about it. We've thought about it. Realized it's going to cost us money, and we have rejected it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks for yeah. your input. <laughs> it feels like it's yeah, like to be even more cynical be very on brand for me um to be uh it does feel like a way for the uk government to say we tried and this is our effort <laughs> you know like but they're like but regardless this isn't of what the, from the government that's the thing isn't it no so the uk ie is is it's it's an it's like an industry association like the esa in america because like in australia the the games are regulate so the games industry is regulated and the ratings are all regulated by the government in in the UK and in Australia. Whereas in America, it's all regulated by the ESA. So that's the key difference between an organization like the ESA and the UK IE is that the power, the powerful, you know, like Kai said, the powerful, you know, fines and, and, you know, consequences and things like that actually lies with the UK government. So that's why they say, oh, we're going to work with the, quote, UK government and other stakeholders to, to measure effectiveness. That's, the I think, the, the one thing to keep in mind about the UK versus yeah. America. <laughs> I'll mention as well, just because it's relevant, um, the GameIndustry.biz article covering this report, it, like the final line of their article is, last year the UK government called upon the game industry to regulate itself rather than change the law resulting in the creation of these principles. So now I just feel uh, really bad. <laughs> yeah. I do that's think just that's, like, well, it can't be fucked. <laughs> yeah. I do think the, the threat is still there. And I think that's mm. that's got the UK IE a little yeah. bit worried that if these don't work, the UK government could come in and make their own rules and they're probably going to be harsher. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, guessing it's it's hard yeah. not to be harsher than this. This is pretty weak shit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was going to say, it's like, well, the Tories don't seem great, like, especially. Uh, but, like, you're right <laughs> yeah. that it's like, it. yeah, doing anything would be better, maybe. So, yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't take much. Yeah. Yes. That's the thing. It's, um, I guess, like, if we, if we, with that context, you know, John, that this was something that the government told the industry to regulate itself. It's because, like, if you think back 12 months ago, the... What the crisis was like, like the UK had its like third prime minister in like as many months. It had like a, a very harsh winter and skyrocketing power bills. And, you know, it was, it was like 
I think probably in the list of priorities for the government, this was pretty low on it. I know it affects children, but it it was like it would have been pretty low at that time. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And may I ask, are the Tories are they meant to be like the equivalent of Republicans and like the Liberal Party? Is that what the Tories meant Tories are? Yeah. That's about it. Basically yeah. it. Okay, like the the Conservative Party. Yeah, they they've got yeah, they're their yeah. own mess. <laughs> Just as like, gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Not a, not a one to one translation, but good enough for science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like wherever the yeah. axis, like political axis is, like they're on the same <laughs> one, but they've got their own <laughs> traits. <laughs> but, um, Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, speaking of. I've got nothing. Kai, can you tell us about what's going on with Xbox? <laughs> Some more Xbox news. Uh, a flawless segue. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Xbox Live Gold is being replaced with Xbox Game Pass Core. What does that mean? So, beginning on September 14, <laughs> Xbox Live Gold will become Xbox Game Pass Core. It'll be the same price. Uh, it will still include online multiplayer. Uh, the big change is going to be it will include a library of over 25 games rather than the two free games that you used to get with Games with Gold. Free, Kai, yeah, free. Yeah, free. Big, big air quotes there. Uh, you'll still get your, your exclusive member deals, yay. Um, new titles will be added to the library two to three times a year. Uh, rest of Game Pass will be staying the same. So that will be, you'll have your core, your console, your PC, and your ultimate plans, all with yeah. slightly different different results and things you get. So The thing I'll be worried about... <laughs> oh, sorry. Before, before I was going to say, like, do you think the... I still think, like, the major Xbox releases, like Starfield and stuff, would be on this plan but i think what'll go away is maybe you know when when like a lot of prominent indie games oh it's on game pass right now i think maybe they're the ones who might suffer i'm just guessing but if if you were to cut back you know a library from like hundreds to like 25 that's probably where microsoft might go maybe i think that's that's probably the idea is people will still get some of those free games that we all love that we pay 10.95 a month for <laughs> but now they can also sell starfield on release yeah. and that'll be great yes so yeah in other microsoft news they're going to be rolling out a new reporting feature for in-game voice chat uh, which will be platform wide that will give players the option to capture and report inappropriate in-game voice chats. So uh, Dave McCarthy from Xbox Player Services explained that this feature will equip Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One players with the ability to capture a 60-second video clip of an in-game voice incident that they believe violates our community standards and submitted as evidence to our safety team for review. So will this finally solve... 11-year-old saying slurs in voice chat? No, but it's something. <laughs> it's something. Hmm. It's definitely no, an upgrade. Like no, I, I think it's definitely... 
Oh, go on. <laughs> no, no one can solve eleven-year-olds, but but we're, <laughs> no one can but solve we're, them. we're trying. <laughs> They'll forever be a problem, but <laughs> oh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. No, but it's like it's really cool to see something like that. As much as it, mm. it's like, hopefully, that can like solve, you know, solve like help some situations that otherwise get passed over too easily. So yeah. I don't know. It'd be cool to see PlayStation and other platforms implement something like I that. Think- PlayStation did something similar a few years ago, but just like like thirty seconds of audio, I think it was, oh, okay. and it had to be. Yeah, I, I remember reading about that, but that was like maybe two or three years ago. I think that was like a late PS4 move. Oh, okay, okay. Well, still cool to see on Xbox's part. Mm, right. Definitely. Hear, hear me out. The only thing that can stop <laughs> a bad eleven-year-old with a racial slur is a good twelve-year-old. <laughs> With the mum joke. <laughs> <laughs> so is it the Tory or the Republican speaking there? <laughs> Tory. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds more like that. <laughs> no. Uh. Anyway. And finally, and, and probably less interesting for those who are not in the industry... Uh, Larry Herb slash Major Nelson is leaving Xbox after 20 years. He uh, was Xbox's most prominent public representative during the late Xbox and Xbox 360 eras. Uh, he was Phil Spencer before Phil Spencer came along. Pretty and, much, yeah. Yeah, and now he's now he's moving on. So that's that's nice. I hope he <laughs> hope he gets some rest. Yeah, now he's just retired yeah. Admiral Nelson or something. <laughs> go to bed, uh, Nelson. On, yeah. on go to bed. Honorably discharged Major Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> Honorably discharged, yeah. Thank you for your service. We salute thee. <laughs> Got a purple okay. heart off the Xbox One. Yes. He got two. <laughs> I mean, for, for that and for the connect. Yeah. Well, con- considering what happened when he left, which was the Xbox One, and that he helped yeah, the oh, Xbox, Xbox 360, maybe he should be promoted. Be a major. What's the next one up? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Whatever the the next one is. <laughs> uh, Insert l- l- Lieutenant Colonel. Military joke here. Lieutenant yeah. Colonel. L- Lieutenant Nelson. Colonel Nelson. <laughs> kind of pales in weight compared to the rest of the Microsoft news, but there we are. Yeah. So yeah, you know, <laughs> you're not big enough news, Major Nelson. <laughs> Get yes, it together. Yes. Well, <laughs> go, go by Activision, you know, Major Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I've had enough. This is his way to protest. <laughs> Quietly leave. <laughs> he actually had a fist fight with Bobby Kotick in the in the hallway, and this is the only way they could get rid of him. Without compromising the trial, <laughs> people will pay attention to me this way. <laughs> uh, he's, he's actually joining PlayStation. It's, uh, it's it's interesting. It's weird. It's weird how this happened. <laughs> he's changed armies. He's he's like a he's like a Cold War era like defecting soldier. <laughs> There'll be a press so conference he, and everything. He's been a double agent the whole time. <laughs> he made the he actually whispered in um was it 
uh, uh, Don Matrick's ear, the whole idea of always on Xbox One. and He incepted it, and then now he's reaping the rewards. Tinker Taylor <laughs> Soldier Larry. Uh, well... Speaking of people leaving an organization, this time with a little bit less of a positive note. John, what's going on at Roblox? Mm. Um, not Nothing great from Satisfit. Um, so there was a report from Bloomberg. Um, ro- um, employees from Roblox Corp, the developer obviously behind Roblox, um, have spoken up about the al- an alleged lack of diversity across both um, gender and race. So um, staff have um, reported a climate of marginalization of minorities and a lack of diversity efforts. Um, experiences um, include disc- discriminatory and racially charged language and a lack of diversity and few efforts to address it, leading staff to seek employment elsewhere outside of Roblox. Um, some of the examples included in the report include four female employees were described as aggressive or emotional during annual review, annual review meetings. Um, four current and former employees shared that they'd received, quote, racially charged feedback, which was, quote, common to hear among BIPOC teammates, teammates such as confrontational, feisty, combative, or aggressive. Um, yeah, and um, Roblox provided internal data to Bloomberg um, that apparently demonstrates a slight increase in the percentage of women at the company, in addition to a more racially, uh, more racially diverse workforce. But that's sort of, it's such a, the stats are very um, incremental and kind of hard to buy as yeah. being particularly, you know, demonstrative of any real change um, compared to the report itself. So, yeah, just more more uh, upsetting stuff out of Roblox considering how the game operates in its own right. <laughs> it's like they opened up, like, it's like the company is a box of, like, favorites and they're like, look, we've got one more, like, Mars bar in there. Look, look how much we've done. Meanwhile, and the look, box is filled with like, Cadbury Dream. Yeah. Exactly, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the and the and the the um, the Mars bars are like half melted, and like the wrappers are open or something, <laughs> and they're secretly Turkish delight, <laughs> just to make it real. <laughs> yeah, oh. But they've just been called something else the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's been a little bit like, oh, we can't be we can't be racist. We have two black employees. <laughs> they wheel so, them out yeah. like Barbie dolls. They're just like, look, one of them. Nice the camera. <laughs> One of my best friends is black, and also he works for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, uh... Get a look at this, Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just like like everyone here, we treat everyone here like family. And just like my family, they're predominantly white and male. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh... That went places. <laughs> yeah, might be just like the stuff. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I think this is like the latest in a string of. I, I think Roblox Corp already doesn't have such a good reputation, so yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised by hearing this. No. Which is disappointing yet again that we hear. <laughs> We hear yeah. about things like this. Yeah, the yeah. ones who create the sweatshop for kids could at least be diverse. <laughs> That's the least they could do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. That's true. 
I'm <laughs> trying to be shocked every time we hear that the games industry has problems with minorities. But it's becoming difficult. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> becoming. It became difficult in about 2001. <laughs> that's when yeah, it really that's... became clear that there was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, speaking of the games industry evolving over time and or maybe not evolving, we've uh we had this uh interesting piece of news uh coming uh last week. Uh so a study by the video game History Foundation, which is a not for profit in America that's dedicated to preserving game history, you know, whether that's actual games, manuals, magazines, news articles, like you know, creating like a living a living museum of everything that this one I guess at at the at the core of it that we we are very fortunate to to have you know to be part of this industry i know it's got it's like very very dark side but you know as a medium like we've got a lot to celebrate and it seems like a lot of that is unable to be enjoyed by modern consumers because according to the study from the VGHF Approximately 87% of classic video games, so video games released before 2010, in the United States have failed to be preserved in any real capacity. So, essentially, you can't play them, you can't go and play them today. You can't get them today, you can't play them today. So, it, it, it's labelled some of these older titles as being critically endangered. So, for example... Games released between 1975 and 1979 have an availability rate of 0.89%. So if you wanted to play a game released then, you can't play it right now because they probably are on a system that hasn't been emulated or that, uh, sorry, they're probably on a system that hasn't been you know, emulated on some sort of digital storefront and let you play the game, buy and play the game right now. So games released uh, during the early 90s, so they define it as 1990 to 1994. Uh, uh, Only 19.33% of those games are available to be played today. Games released between 2005 and 2009, only 17.89% of those games are playable today. Uh, and then less than 3% of games that were released before 1985. So I guess before the Nintendo Entertainment System kind of resurrected the video game industry in the in the Western world, less than 3% of those games can actually be are in print today. So in print being available to purchase. So whether that's in a digital storefront or physically uh, be able to get it today. And a lot of that uh, so, one of these, uh, another one of the factors that the, the the foundation found to be an issue was that the consoles ecosystem, so the the respective consoles of those games. For example, the Commodore sixty four has been considered quote abandoned because of its low sales overall and lack of available games uh, in general, whether whether it's in like some sort of retro collection or. Or via, you know, Steam or something like that, via emulation, for example. The PlayStation 2, on the other, ha- on the other hand, is deemed, quote, active because a lot of its games have been re-released on a consistent basis. And a lot of those games, like, for example, on, on 
PS5, you can subs- uh, play a lot of those older titles via the the back catalog on the the various tiers of uh, the PlayStation Plus service. <laughs> I forgot the name. <laughs> um, and you can play uh, PlayStation Three games via uh, via PlayStation Now. You know, via via streaming. The Nintendo's Game Boy was previously considered a quote active system because a lot of those games were available via the eShop on the Wii, uh, sorry, the Wii U and the Nintendo 3DS. However, it is now considered quote a neglected ecosystem because those storefronts were shut down early this year and those uh, games, the majority of them haven't been brought onto the the Switch iteration of the eShop, which is a uh, yeah not fun. I, I guess, yeah, the eShop or via Nintendo Switch Online. Um, the other thing is the, the VGHF also notes that there are a, only a small handful of ways that games can be preserved these days, whether you're owning a collection of retro consoles and their respective games, or you know, resorting to piracy, um, which sometimes might be easier, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it also attributed the industry's preservation issues to the ESA, the Electronic Software Association, which is, as we mentioned before, the US, kind of the video games industry's own association uh, that represents its corporate interests, right? And it's found that this organization has, quote, consistently fought against expanding video game preservation within libraries and archives. So there's there's been a lot of... the Whenever... In a lot of situations, whenever there's been efforts by museums or by, you know, foundations like the VGHF trying to preserve games and make games playable in some way on modern hardware, those have been shut down by the ESA because the ESA, it's in the ESA's members' best interest to make those games available via digital storefronts and make people pay to play them again. But in a lot of those times... Those games, it may not make financial sense to re-release them because it would take a lot of effort, whether it comes to dedicating resources to emulation or finding you know, source code and things like that. So the community is happy to pick up the tab on that end, but the ESA is still shutting that down, which is a, a massive bummer uh, for, for the industry, like for fans as a whole, I think. Um, also, uh, complicating manners, according to the VGHF, are, quote, outdated copyright laws that are preventing institutions like theirs from doing their jobs. So, quote, so libraries and archives have permission to digitally preserve games. They're actually limited in what they can do with games compared to other media, such as books or movies. You know, uh, And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, hey, if you want to read a book, you can scan a PDF you can have the physical versions preserved. If you want to watch a movie, you can you know digitally scan old film stock, or you can restore old film stock. You can do things like that. Whereas it's much more difficult for you know for games to be played on things that aren't the original hardware, just because you know games were kind of like for the for the longest time games were treated like disposable toys you know they were treated like things that you buy for the kids they get bored of it you chuck it away and you buy the next thing so i think that's it's it's a mix between you know the ESA blocking things copyright law not catching up and also the like the uniqueness of video games as a medium now in response to uh, the 
uh, this, uh, I guess, this study being published. Uh, and this is according to uh, something that a game developer reported on. The ESA says that it quote its members, its member, the ESA and its member companies are committed to and actively support professional efforts to preserve video games and do so in ways that do not jeopardize future economic opportunity for their creative works. The game industry's creative and economic vitality depend on strong copyright protections. End quote. Which uh, I think kind of summarizes, I guess, the problem right there. Yeah, yeah. that last line is quite good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think the, me yeah, the way to read it, I think if we read it like, companies, that's how I would read it. But, you know, that's that's... That's just me <laughs> editorializing. You guys can't see this, but Abir just pulled out a monocle. <laughs> yes, a monocle and a, and, and a rifle and a, and a bald eagle on my shoulder <laughs> with with a, spout, a spurt of like oil coming out behind me with as I walk with my cane to the to the podium. Yeah. But the the cane and the eagle is just normal beer. I didn't think it was worth mentioning. Yeah, and the thing is. Interestingly, one of the main members of the ESA is Microsoft, and I believe uh, Phil Spencer's on the board. <laughs> so maybe he's not, maybe he's not the good guy we all think he he is. <laughs> Betrayed again. <laughs> oh, it's old Two Face Spencer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know, like. I was gonna say, Kai. I know that you're uh, you're a connoisseur of retro games, and and yourself as well, John. You've 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 gone through your back catalogue, and we'll talk about that a little bit later today. But yeah, okay. what, what do you, uh, Kai? What do you think? I mean, I think it is a, a shame when anything is is left forgotten in in the art world. Um, I think. Some of the older games, I understand that at the time you didn't realize it would be important to preserve them. And they, mm. they would become such a such a medium. Um, yeah, I think the the only thing to do now is make sure that we get better at preserving them going forward. Yeah, uh, yeah. Realistically, a lot of those games pre the nineties are lost forever. We're never going to get them back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is sad. It is sad. Um, I think we might be able to come up with facsimiles of them, Mm. which is the closest we're going to get, really. Yeah. Yeah. John, anything to add? Sorry. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's just, it's a sad thing. It kind of makes me, like, it's kind of fascinating how, I'd be curious to learn more about how, just how um, restricted libraries and archives are in the sense because like mm. games are like such a specific thing where it's basically especially older ones from my basic understanding of it would be the problem is that they're not just they're software on like niche hardware yeah. that no one particularly cared about at the time so it's like toys are yeah. like in my mind toys is like the best example like comparison mm. except it's also just really old software on top of that for stuff that's just hard to get back and yeah run at all so it's just this combination of those two things where it's like seen as a novelty still Mm. by most people you know like it's harder to i think it's harder to convince the average person that it's worth spending more money to archive these things compared to movies films books realistically Mm. 
Oh, I say two. <laughs> some, some games are also going to be more worth preserving than others. I don't think anyone's going to argue yeah. that Tetris shouldn't be in a museum somewhere, as opposed yeah. to you know, Legend of Zelda CDI, which is <laughs> brilliant fun, not groundbreaking. <laughs> Excuse me, princess. <laughs> now nah, that's true because like, and and the other thing, John is like. You're right. Like, even if you look at toys, like a Transformers toy from 1983, it probably still functioned the same way as it did when it was new. Whereas, like, a game from, you know, a Magnavox Odyssey or something from that time period, you know, a lot of that old hardware, there wasn't so much programming as, like, the programming, the actual bits and things like that were physically soldered on the hardware. Like, you know what I mean? They're, they're not as advanced as 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 systems we have now so it's yeah it's one of those like tricky things like uh, that's why i'm really curious about how are we as like how how are australians like how are our institutions like what are the what are the how well are we doing things like i know the australian center for moving image here in melbourne is like has has got a lot like a really nice game showcase but i wonder how much it actually like what what else is being done in terms of preservation mm. it's kind of an interesting question because mm. australia's had like had really limited access to games for a long time as well mm. for a big chunk of you know like historically you know like for the chunk that would of time where um but like the most archiving would be most necessary you know just because like mm. it's just harder to get access to it it's like australia didn't even get a lot of those games and hardware sometimes yeah so it's just like it's i don't know it's like well like i'm not sure i'm i mean i'll be curious to know exactly where australia fits into like the larger uh landscape of game preservation in that sense it's like how far yeah. do we go like do we just go pal releases like territory like you know releases from mm. australia like i don't know it uh, i mean yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious about that as well yeah no, i think it's going to be a worldwide effort if we want to go back and start preserving things and, mm. and keep preserving them into the future. Mm, definitely. Well, yeah. you know, speaking of bringing things back yeah. into the future Spe- and speaking letting of, new generations play them. This, right. is, this is my time. You all said this wouldn't <laughs> happen. I brought this up weeks and weeks. Kai made this happen. <laughs> You're right. We said it couldn't it, happen. Manifested it, it both was, of us. <laughs> it was the big joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look at Kai. With his pipe dream, but limited run games has announced Gex, Gex Enter the Gecko, and Gex 3 Deep Cover Gecko are being remastered. They're coming to PS4, they're coming to <laughs> PS5, they're coming to Switch, they're coming to Xbox, and they're coming to PC. It is motherfucking <laughs> tail time, kids. Hell yeah. <laughs> I will say, you, you know, Kai's like. I think it was. I'm uh, almost. I'm almost crying. (laughs) Episode 34 of Double Jump Radio, where it was us three. It is literally titled "Where, Where's the Gex Remastered Trilogy," you know, and that was published (laughs) on September 30th, 2021. So, almost two years to the day. You absolutely (laughs) heard it here first. Yeah, wow. I gotta say, it's gonna be fun to learn anything about Gex on this release because <laughs> I still don't know anything. <laughs> right, well, he's a lizard, right? 
<laughs> and he good. makes all these brilliant jokes, and they're good platformers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Chris. Was it Crystal Dynamics who who made them? It it was Crystal Dynamics. Uh, who we made, made the first three, I think. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. I think there's only been three. <laughs> yeah, and and somehow this was one of the games. For some reason, Square Enix, when it sold Crystal Dynamics, didn't offload Gex because it knew the value. It knew what Gex meant to his repertoire. <laughs> the most, the most cult classic of any cult classic game I've ever talked about has been Gex. Yeah, they're like sorting through it, like on a table, and it's just like they kind of like gone, like gone, gone, and then like it's like a photo of Gex. I was like, oh, <laughs> this guy can make money. Someone like put it in their pocket, and they like said, "Oh, no. <laughs> like they took it out of the, the you know, the, the box." <laughs> he knew that person knew. <laughs> I when I saw the trailer that they released announcing that they were going to be re-releasing all the Gex games, remastering them, mm. I genuinely yeah. thought it was a joke because yeah. it was so bafflingly <laughs> unlikely that Gex would ever come back. <laughs> So this is, uh, well, in all seriousness, <laughs> the details are that this is a, a co, I guess like a collaboration between Limited Run Games and, and Square Enix, who owns the rights to the Gex franchise. So Gex, Gex Enter the Gecko and Gex 3 Deep Cover Gecko are being remastered and re-released on PS4, PS5, Xbox One slash Xbox Series, Switch and PC, which is... Uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, I'm just trying to see if there's a date. Okay, a release window uh, hasn't been announced as of this recording, but you, you know it's coming. It's it's giving it's given me hope for the future. Um, I guess the only other important thing to note, development wise, is it's being remastered with the Carbon Engine for you engine fans out there. Ooh, which um, I think that was also used. A limited run also did that for I think the Turok. Re-releases, I believe. Oh my! I think it's it's a bit of a favorite for limited run games, um, mm. and it is it's their sort of baby. They use to to port old games to modern platforms. Hmm. So. Right. You know what? Good on them. That I love the stuff. Um, it's it's really cool to it's really cool to see that someone's like you know what. There's a market out there for people to get things back, so let, let's make it happen. Yeah, no limited run games doing doing great work. Shout out to those guys, mm. and shout yeah. out and shout out to you, Gex, the num- yeah, Gex number one lizard-based platformer. I mean, all the kids are. I mean, that's like, wait, you just wait on TikTok. It's gonna, everyone's gonna be asking. Like, everyone's gonna ask if they're, you know. If everyone, are you Gex? Do you Gex? Like three three years from Gex now. Bro? Three years from now, everyone will be Mario. Who's that? No one will yeah. care. It's Gex time. It's Gex time. Yeah, like you know, Gex ready. <laughs> like you know, it just writes itself, yeah. right? Look, like you know, he's, the... he's got that Gex appeal. <laughs> yeah, that's Gex. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a uh, Gex sells. That's what they say. That's just, just that's marketing one hundred and one. Video game marketing one hundred and one. Gex sells. It's the first thing they say. <laughs> Going to class, yeah. right on the whiteboard. Yeah, Gex sells. Yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah. Mario jumps and Gex sells. That's what. Isn't that? That's just. I thought that was. A, we just knew that. It's a, Look at this. Look at this. Adir and yeah. John 
fake Gex fans. They're jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> now. I was here from the start. <laughs> <laughs> we were jumping on the back of the lizard. We, we don't deserve this. Yeah, I don't want to get left behind. This, <laughs> yeah, so. this, this is going to be my my hipster cred. Three years from now, when everyone loves Gex, everyone's got Gex patches. Everyone's gone around <laughs> saying it's tail time. I'm gonna. I was into Gex before gotta, it was cool. Before it was remastered. You gotta pull out. You gotta pull uh, out your it, phone and go look at this. Listen to this podcast where I said this Gex is gonna be cool. Yeah. Five years ago. <laughs> we we have to yeah, but it's tail. It's tail time is actually a thing from the games, right? Am I yeah. just... Okay, that's, cool. That's cool. what he says upon loading any level. Awesome. He comes awesome. in, well, that, he makes a quiz, or he says, it's tail time. And that's... Alrighty, that's the... Um, that's a well, we know the, That's going to be the title. That That's really going to be the title. <laughs> uh, in... In... Um, in, uh, in Gex, we trust. Uh, well... How about we uh how about we, we cap the news section there and talk about what we've been playing slash watching or over the past uh, couple of weeks. John, tell us about what's been going on over the past couple of weeks in on the, on the west coast of Australia, <laughs> in general. <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> um, yeah, so first off, of a couple, yeah, didn't do it a little bit. Um, first off is like New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 tournament that started a few days ago. It is a month-long mm-hmm. round-robin tournament with a lot of people, Ooh. a lot of shows, a lot of wrestling. Um, it is like, it's basically like a landmark part of their year <laughs> that is like because like new japan and most like pretty much every japanese pro wrestling company are like touring companies compared to other ones around the world okay like the way they make mm. money is by having shows and getting money from the audience and merch and not so much tv deals and stuff like that that's how like w- old school wrestling yeah basically yeah like they and they also have like a especially um they call it like uh they have an audience there that hasn't really waned as hard as much as it has overseas, like interested in pro wrestling. Like there's still you. a big audience for it. Um, but basically a G1 tournament is, yeah, round robin tournament. There's um, 32 people overall across four blocks. And so each block has eight people. Every person in that block will fight every other person in the block. So there's a lot of matches across a month-ish. Jesus. That's just started. <laughs> um, I haven't actually followed a G1 personally before. I don't. Th- I, I doubt I'll be able to actually watch everything, but I want to try because it's fun. Um, yeah, it's like there's a lot of people I haven't seen before, and like it's a, also a period of time where the stories are kicking off in a more, um, in a way that's pretty easy to follow. And is this the start of a like a year of wrestling, or is this like the middle of the New Japan wrestling year, or the end of it? Uh, middle-ish. Like their okay. their start of the year is basically and start and end of the year is basically Wrestle Kingdom, which is their WrestleMania style show. Mm. That's at the start at the very start of January every year. Gotcha. So this is yeah around the middle, um, and but this one's very exciting because like there's more people in it than usual, 
And there's also, which means a lot more stuff to watch, which is kind of an issue for me because it's already a problem because <laughs> I'm two days behind and there's four days in. Um, but it's okay. Um, it's a whole month. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh it's God. I don't. I'll see how it do. Like it's just a thing to try. Um, but the main thing is that it's got a lot of like the younger wrestlers as part of New Japan, like in it for the first time. It's like mainly these like three: um, Ren Narita, Shudo Umino, and Suji Yoda. Oh, Yuda. Oh. Yuji so sue, sue me. I don't remember his name exactly, <laughs> but there's like um, basically those three are like basically it. like the next like the fir- next three like main stars of the promotion that have been um, sort of they've been trained they've been like the last like five years and they've been finally come into the promotion as their own people as like major gotcha. stars and this That's is their first cool. G1 tournament because G1 tournaments are a, a very um basically very significant in like to the promotion in general and in this case it's like covid hit japanese promotions really hard because mm. they're touring promotions yeah. you know they don't have tv deals like in the u.s that make most of the money so they make most money off shows and they couldn't do those yeah. especially the scale they yeah, usually have definitely. um yeah so this is basically they're trying to amp up g1 in a way that will hopefully make a bit more money than they usually get from these tours tours so you've got those you've got those young wrestlers being you know introduced into the the limelight you know into the main main stage are there any gecks like you know you know champions of yore who are returning to the spotlight as well um a little bit there's like um hang on i'll try and find a thing of all of them which one's this one i've got like lists on this and um jesus is that how you're tracking them? You're like, who, who, to, who to follow? Whose storylines to follow? Kind of. I, I skip certain <laughs> matches if I know I'm not going to get much from them. But um, which one's three? Sorry. Hang on. It'll just be easier to talk about certain people when I see their names. Um, yeah. In terms of like, there's mostly like new people. Um, they're like people like Hiroshi Tanahashi. He's like the ace of the company and has been for like 20 years. And he's, he's getting older now, but it's like he'll be one of his final tournaments. Which is yeah. crazy for someone as banged up as he is. He shouldn't be doing it, but that's how Japan does it. Yeah, um, yeah because they're more physical than like America, like WWE, right? Yeah, generally, yeah. Cool. Um, which isn't, I don't know. In certain cases, it's not great, but they haven't. <laughs> like they tend not to have as um, many rests for their top stars, or maybe just people in general. Like they tend not to like um, American companies and or just certain different companies around the world have more leniency in how they can like yeah. give vac- like give breaks and also have a style that's not as hard hitting so it's just a lot of these older like a lot of these like top stars in new japan and just japan in general have like so many issues with the necks and the backs like Ooh, they're all that's like <laughs> oh my god that's like uh when you hear stories about wwe and like i guess through to like the mid 90s before things became a, like you know a lot more tv friendly and they started thinking a lot more about injuries and things like that mm. yeah it's um yeah it's an interesting phase for wrestling in a few ways like i haven't been following for my whole life or anything but it's it's got a really interesting history that's kind of um <laughs> no, it's always you fascinating came out of the womb and you body slammed the uh the doctor you're like yeah, i'm out of that <laughs> <laughs> that would be a cool scene actually <laughs> um, I was trying to think of some other joke I was like oh shit they're all they're too niche <laughs> like, all my jokes up to it I mean no you'd one literally be it. a baby face right <laughs> um, 
That's, uh, a, that's a wrestling joke. <laughs> for people, <I'm> hip. <laughs> yeah, hip is something you are when you're into wrestling. Um, just so people yeah. know, um, it's so mainstream, <laughs> like X. <laughs> We're all so cool on here on Top Show. I also, I'll just to, like, just so I don't feel too insulting about it. It's like the um, the person I was like the person's <laughs> name I mispronounced earlier. It's Yoda Suji because oh, okay. I really messed that one up. Um, ah, but yeah, okay. so those three Fair are the enough. main ones. There's a lot of like, um, a lot of like main stars in the tournament. It's basically as like a tournament, as a tourer setup. It's basically a way to go to as many places as possible and get. And like the idea is that each show will have as many appealing, you know, stars on the card as possible because they're all Ooh. fighting a lot. <laughs> they're all having a lot of matches. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, a lot of the you know biggest stars are there. It's just this time it's a bigger bracket with a lot more yeah. new people in it than usual and are there different like prefect like different cities like every round yeah like it's i've got like the list up now so it's like a start i actually don't know japan like geography at all but there's a lot there's like okay. a lot of there's i don't know around 15 a lot of different locations maybe there. overall something like that as they just go That's across cool. japan it's um, like a proper touring show yeah they're all they're all like that although some That's are awesome. based in specific places but yeah yeah it depends on yeah. the place um yeah, so anyway, that's just to wrap that up, actually, because there's not much to say. I'm very into it. Um, it's very exciting for this um, company in particular, in this like, and for wrestling in general, because it's just New Japan's a major company. So it's, um, yeah, so I've been watching that last few days. I'll see if I update or I just stop watching and not mention it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to commit to a like a like a john only podcast like a special episode where you're going to recap all of g1 <laughs> and your favorite rounds and i could barely do five minutes that right now you don't get any notes either <laughs> it has to be all done from memory <laughs> on the top of your head yeah <laughs> i can do I, I, that's not the hardest thing to me but well apparently it is because i'm doing a pretty rough job <laughs> but it's yeah anyway um, you can have notes for the names but everything else you have to remember i can remember the names better <laughs> despite that one person <laughs> Everything else is harder. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, just the yeah. So G one starting, exciting. That's it. Mm. Um, otherwise, the last couple of weeks, I finally finished Halo one and played through Halo two, and then I'm actually re. I'm I'm not sure how far I'll go with it. I was planning on replaying two just to kind of get a better sense of, uh, to go through like the anniversary vision like graphics oh, yeah. of the game because that's available on that yeah on the pc version drastically different <laughs> yeah it looks quite nice like i don't, I don't mind it like I, yeah. I didn't like the halo one anniversary upgrade as much mm. but halo 2 is yeah. pretty good um and also their cutscenes are all done by um blur i think they're all yeah. like extremely high and budget pre-rendered story. does it I, I couldn't tell actually. yeah i think there was like some of the cutscenes are actually different. Like, there's like new content and stuff. Because uh, it's definitely made some of the yeah. story easier to understand just by virtue of being high fidelity in certain respects. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a weird <laughs> thing to. Yeah. It's been a while since I played something like that where it's like, oh, I was actually confused because textures. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah. That's what we remember about the original Xbox. Just, I don't know. There's a, there's a okay, this guy's green. Those guys are purple. Yeah. We don't <laughs> like the purple guys. We shoot them. You shoot, shoot the purple. Shoot <laughs> the purple, we... shoot the brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everything else is grey. You're just running around in grey. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. What, what did you... What did you? Okay, so you played one and two. 
did you obviously like you know through osmosis you would have you know all the major story beats you kind of knew all the twists and well, no i didn't like actually yeah. oh you didn't <laughs> not okay. really uh, it, which one did you like more um two a lot more like one okay. was um one's interesting because it's got so many like um retro shooter hallmarks to it in terms mm-hmm. of like how its gameplay like works and, and encounters it, and it, it's even in story is like it's very it's clever as a story set up for like the first game that i don't think they were planning on making sequels to um it's actually very clever how they do world building where it's just it feels like they thrust you into the middle of a conflict that they give you very few details of otherwise and they get yeah. let you infer bits of the world and the story like of the actual you know plot just through you know kind of offhand remarks and just as the levels are yeah. unfolding which is like for it's that like it's diegetic which, yeah sure. yeah it's like it's very um yeah, it's like very interesting for a game of that era, especially when they hadn't become too yes. cinematic yet. And it's like it's not mm. like the cutscenes or story. Like it's the story is not incredible, particularly at that point. Two is where it kind of gets a big leap forward in certain ways. Yeah, because the covenant yeah. side of it is a big part of the second game, and that part. Did you know about that going in? Yeah, I knew played it. Yeah, okay. Cool. I, I was like, it did remind me. I played Halo Three a bunch when it came out in high school, and I remember nothing about yeah. the story or anything. It made me realize, <laughs> like, man, I I could not have understood the story in any significant no. way at all <laughs> when I played it, <laughs> regardless of what I played. Like, it's just I just hadn't. You yeah, because you would have just been like, yeah, just yeah because like yeah yeah that would that would have been crazy playing that and not playing one and two because it pretty much like follows on almost directly after two like yeah because i, I like, didn't realize two had a cliffhanger <laughs> for some reason i didn't consider yeah. it at all um but it's um, oh man that was a back then that was a huge people hated people were so angry about that back then uh, <laughs> like I yeah, because because the thing is like you have to remember like that came out in oh four and we didn't get Halo three until like oh seven I think oh eight so there was like now it's easy to go oh I can just go straight into three and then it kind of follows on but like back then it was like what the fuck like you know like <laughs> you end like this like that games don't do that that's what movies and TV shows do right anyway. Um, oh yeah, old man a beer chiming in. <laughs> um, yeah, I will I, go. Like, I always um, forget ha- that a beer is sixty years old, and then he comes out with something like it's, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> Easy to forget sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he shows yeah. himself. Um, he talks about Halo at I, all. <laughs> I am the video game preservation. I am the. I am the living library. <laughs> uh. Anyway, but sorry, kids don't remember Halo. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Man, how cool is Arbiter? Arbiter is such a cool like character. Like, yeah, he's very. Um, he grabs you pretty quickly. Like the Covenant side of the story in Halo Two is very, um, especially engrossing. Like it's really compelling, yeah. <laughs> just because of like how yeah. well it does. It's like it very efficiently lays out the Covenant's side of the world, and it's very. Yes. It's ve- yeah. It's just very compelling, and he also it's not an entire game's worth. And mm. and it's like it's I kind of respect that they kind of kept the human side of the conflict being this like cheesy B movie, like military like <laughs> stuff. It's like it's it's very bog standard sort yeah. of story stuff in that sense. And <laughs> and the characters, <laughs> yeah. Come on, Chief. <laughs> like you know, like Sergeant Johnson, like we gotta kick some ass. <laughs> and meanwhile, on the other side is like you've been disgraced. You know, you've brought dishonor, and there's all this political intrigue. <laughs> 
Yeah. And the other one's like this jingoistic American, like, yee-haw, you know what I mean? Yeah, because the one thing I took, I, I was very, I was kind of a little conflicted on the human side of it, because it's very, it feels, yeah. the way, what I came around away from it was that it feels like the developers have an affection for a certain outdated, well, not even outdated so much as a very specific, like, cartoon version of what the military yeah. is. <laughs> Yes, like yes, 100%. And it's like, it, there's not really, there's like, I'm not expecting to say anything about the military or Earth, but it's amazing how, yeah. like, it's like, it's like the affection part of it is the one part that stood out to me. It's like, they love it, <laughs> but in a very, like, <laughs> yeah. childlike way. G.I. Joe, almost. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like they watched Jarhead and they'll what they got from it was like, fuck you, America. And then all the, like, the commentary about, you know, how bad, like, how it, like, breaks people down. All that's lost on them. Well, it's almost like Starship Troopers, except without the commentary. <laughs> yeah, except co- no commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Even even though the whole, like, you know, it's meant to be, like, the allegory is, you know, the humans are, like, Christianity, and you literally got a character named John who's acting as, like, the, you know, the saviour for the race versus, like, uh, you know what they call like like the covenant being representative of like Islam and the you know the Western view of the Middle East and things like that like you know all these disparate tribes being brought together under this like religious celery and there's a lot of you know like mm. there's a lot of themes there right but it all gets lost once you can come down to like you know your Marines like hopping on the back of your warthog knowing they're going into certain death and cheering. It's like, oh my god, it's chief. Come on, like you know what I mean. I say, yeah, yeah. I will say it's like that. Probably applies more. Like what I was saying, all that we were saying, it probably applies more to the first game than it does the second, because mm. the contrast is important. Um, yeah, yeah. In her in terms of how you see the human side and the covenant side, um, but yeah. Uh, what else was I gonna say? Oh, I keep getting lost. Uh, just that we've been talking too long, so I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> Halo One is very interesting because of the way it builds. It's like the covenant, like. Um, enemy encounter design and setup like the chemistry between so cool. it's, it's very it's very good and but i wasn't i was very surprised that halo one led up to using that um dynamic for the common uh, common enemies to emphasize the flood where like so it basically has like a turning point in game mid game yeah. where it goes common enemies and then suddenly you're fighting flood and the flood are meant to be interesting and challenging because of how they contrast the covenant and how your experiences with them yeah. so far so it's like they don't really like they do a lot of things that are like either different or harder to deal with uh, yeah. the, the covenant because they don't really like um they don't interact with each other so grunts won't just start running away once the brutes are killed yeah. like you do it like they just come at you or yeah from which is what like, I yeah so it's like it's interesting when it's just like oh it's 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 interesting the way they're meant to um complement covenant yeah but the problem is that they're just not that fun to fight because they're just kind of the same deal the whole time and also the game like the game clearly has a lot of fun trying to make it hard for you (laughs) because like i finally i think i've heard about it a lot over the years and i only took it took me until i actually played it was like the library level where it's just like 20 minutes of flood uh fighting And it's like the same areas and yeah. stuff, and it's just like I, yeah, yeah, and, and, you get, and you can get lost very easily. Yeah, because it's all the same Basically, level. Yeah, and it's like well, it's maybe you just follow the okay. If there are bodies, you've been there before. That's the only way we knew how to get out. Right. <laughs> so what are you saying, guys? Maybe maybe that's that's the point. Maybe that's all our all our jingoistic nationalists. Come on, boys, let's go get 
get these guys. Uh, and now they're learning that war is hell. Yeah. And it's actually not a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's like, and, yeah. And you're that's, now that's feeling that as a player. Yeah. But it's so dumb and the whole time uh, <laughs> in the first one. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I still remember there's that one cutscene. Like, it's it's like, a, it's like burned into my mind of like, you know, when you're on the, the ship, I think Truth and Reconciliation, I think is the name of the ship, you know where the prophets are, like those floating guys are. And then like, you as chief are infiltrating that thing and you basically like pop out of a tran- like a like you know like a Teleport. teleportation yeah. thing and then you come out and there's like a whole bunch of grunts and then like they turn around they see you and you just go and Master Chief just goes boo and then it was just like that's like it's like Schwarzenegger level of like quips but like those that, those one liners but <laughs> yeah. like that really hits home that um like B movie type thing it was really yeah, really I will fun. say Master Chief talks <laughs> a lot more than I thought he did. <laughs> like at least Definitely in the first more than one, the first game. Yeah, well, it's like yeah. in the second game, he doesn't. He's he's around less, so he just talks less. Yeah. But he definitely has like yeah. a less like on average dialogue per scene as well. It's like like I feel like because he gradually becomes quieter, right, in the series. That's my understanding. But I actually don't know. Uh, but I'm surprised at how chatty he is in the first more one. More in the three four three games, just because by virtue of the fact, I think that maybe just the storytelling and. Yeah, it's. Hmm. Yeah, no, like, I, I mean, definitely by like infinite, he's talking a lot. But I think with those newer games, there's a lot more of, less of the atmosphere and 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 the other things. Then more just like, okay, we just need to, we're gonna, sh- we're gonna tell you, not show you. You know what I mean? Like that kind of changed okay. compared to the older games. Which, yeah, it's, right. you're you're right. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, I'll see, yeah. but like, I I've you'll some, find out. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, I keep I talking too much, but I just want to wrap up. It's like Halo 2's um, campaign. It's like compared to that one, where it's like it has like very like split in the middle, sort of like the way it's like designed, like Halo mm-hmm. One. Mm-hmm. It's like Halo Two is actually just like a super solid campaign that great, scales yeah. up really nicely. And then like in the last third or something, it changes. Like suddenly elites are gone, and then brutes are in, and they have like a different dynamic. Yeah. And it's like it, it's really good at keeping variety up and pacing 100%. and player direction. A lot of that stuff, at least to yeah. me, was really strong. I was very and the narrative yeah. supports that. There's a narrative justification for why the elites are gone and the brutes are in. Yeah, like yeah. it's very. Um, That's pretty cool. It's a very rewarding <laughs> campaign. It, it, like because yeah. like I finished it, it's like oh yeah, I'm actually like pretty up for just playing it again because <laughs> it was like I was enjoying it yeah. a lot. And it's like it's been a while since I've had a game where it's just like a it one minute to find start and end, and then mm. when I get to the end, it's like oh I could keep playing. That almost never happens yeah. to me. Yeah. I'll be curious, like when you start three, what you think as well. Yeah, um, but I'll be, I'll leave it there. Cool. I think talk a bit much. Mm. So um, yeah, but a beer. You'll you'll finish the fight later. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, um, what a yeah. flood of information. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, an elite take on on the classic Halo games. Uh, Gex. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> over the past couple of weeks, <laughs> I've been. I haven't really played. Haven't haven't had the chance to play much. Okay. Still chugging away at Breath of the Wild. Still dawdling up mountains sideways and trying to <laughs> grab flints and all that stuff that I see. Uh, but I I, I got the chance to play uh, a little bit, a, a few hours of Street Fighter Six. I really like this. I think. It's a very, very polished Street Fighter. Like, even more so than 4. 
Like, five is okay, four was good, but this just seems to be, like, from the get-go, it's just, it's a complete game. Like, the inputs are very crisp. There's not much latent. Like, the animations are great. The fighting system is really, really smooth and, and is really fun. Like, a fighting game is good when you don't mind losing, you know. And I think this is really good. And there are a lot of tools in the, the training system. You know, there's there's already lots of combos that you can learn and a lot of tools to help you kind of get better, which I think the previous games didn't really have. So I think this, like Street Fighter Six, I think is, like, it shows because the Evo registrations this year have gone through the roof. Specifically, like, and majority of that is due to Street Fighter Six really, really doing doing well and being really well regarded so I, i've i've been very like like it's been a lot of fun playing street fighter 6 and i'm looking forward to kind of you know actually learning combos and and doing decently at it rather than just like you know playing it and then dropping it because that's just what happens to me with fighting games i'm always enthusiastic and then i realize i'm i'm, I'm just bad and then I, <laughs> you know i try but i think in this one it actually you it actually has the tools to help you learn how to become a better fighter and understand why you do certain moves in what situations and what moves can be comboed and things like that. There are a lot of visual indicators and a lot of things to actually teach you rather than just like throw you in there and just be like, oh, well, here you go. Fight against a dummy, mash some buttons and then, okay, go online and just get your ass kicked. So I think that's really, uh, I think I've been really happy with it so far. Yeah, because I, I played yeah, it on release as well and it's like, mm. oh, sorry, okay. Um. oh yeah but like one thing yeah like you're right like it's very good at um one thing that like as i haven't played a street fighter game before this one not really not with any significant time yeah. before and okay. one thing that comes across very well which i think is intentional is just how simple it makes its um mechanics feel on a mm. basic level like it gives it feels yeah. like you have a it doesn't make it easy to learn necessarily or it does make yeah. it easier but it doesn't make it like like I've suddenly got all I can from it or anything. It's just like there's only yeah. so many moves each character has and like mm. the way it has like the tutorial actually lays out combos for you, like specifically to learn from there, like it's the way it, um, it just makes everything about it very approachable to a, a brand new player in a way that I find very, uh, yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah. Hmm. For sure. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Maybe we'll, uh, I'll have to, we'll have to play online sometime. Uh, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Hi. Come come back to the podcast and tell us who won. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I I haven't been playing much just due due to a time deficit, uh, but I did mm. did make some time last week to go see Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, or as I'm going to call it, Mission Impossible Seven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I the Mission Impossible movies always. A, a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I really love them, except for number two, which yeah. sucks. <laughs> uh, but the rest of them, I really mm. like. I like that they're sort of espionage spy movies that haven't devolved into just non-stop action. There is always at least a little yes. bit of a little bit of stealth, a little bit of actual deceit and espionage. Yes. Mm. <laughs> um, this one that wasn't so some sort of tactical espionage action, you might say. One one could say that, <laughs> but should they? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I wasn't going to be mean. Um, <laughs> but look, Mission Impossible Seven. At this point, you know if you like the Mission Impossible movies or not. It's 
Yeah. It's not a groundbreaking formula and the movie doesn't really meaningfully change the formula. <laughs> they go to Venice, they get some exposition, Tom Cruise does a stunt, rinse, repeat. Right. Everyone's happy. Uh, yeah. They wear one of the funny little masks and that's a big reveal. <laughs> Tom Cruise Tom Cruise does another stunt. But you know why uh, why fix what ain't broken? Yeah. Much as much as Tom Cruise is a bit of a weirdo in real life, and I'm I'm being very generous in, generous, in yes. calling in calling him just a weirdo. Uh, it is yeah. it is still fun to watch him drive motorbikes off cliffs and climb towers and do all that crazy yeah. Tom Cruise shit. It's so cool. Like I, I can't wait to. So I, I'm trying to watch all the previous Mission Impossible films before I watch it. I, like I, I've, I thought seen about one. Yeah, I thought Oops, about sorry. doing it. I've seen all the Mission Impossible movies at least once yeah. before. I would not recommend marathoning them. Ah, uh, yeah. There's probably be a lot of similarities. It's, yeah. They are similar. They're they're a little bit formulaic, and it's just a lot of Tom Cruise. All at once, <laughs> like a lot of Tom Cruise aging strangely. Yeah, doesn't he age strangely? <laughs> but also, he's you know he's a decent enough actor. Yeah. He's not someone I can watch for hours and hours at a time. One movie is about yeah. about my limit for an, right. for a week or so, <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, yeah. I could go for a bit more Tom Cruise. A little bit. So 2022 <laughs> was Top Gun Maverick. That's that was your that was enough. I, I have Mission Impossible. Seen Top Gun Maverick. Get out of here. Oh. Yeah. I didn't Sorry. like it. You need to go <laughs> just next week. I want to report on Top Gun Maverick. All right, Roger that. <laughs> Will your gacha energy be back by then, Kai? <laughs> your Tom Cruise energy. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll yeah. see. It's in cool down. It's in <laughs> yeah, I've got to got to relax a little bit, and then I'll I'll watch Top Gun Maverick. Right. I, hear, I hear good things I, yeah. from everyone except John. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I watched, I, I I saw Mission Impossible one, and then I watched four, and then I watched six. <laughs> those those <laughs> so are I've seen random ones. The best those are good ones. ones. Okay, mm. um, and then and now I'm currently going back. We just uh, my wife watched Mission Impossible for the first time. And I, I rewatched the first one recent, like just last week, and I think it still holds up. It is weirdly problematic from a from a like treatment of women perspective, but uh, it was also uh, it was also nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. Judging also, judging it uh, by nineteen ninety six standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was probably fine for that. I'm watching. I'm halfway through Mission Impossible two, which is so bad. It's like I don't even like what <laughs> like why because <laughs> I, so yeah, I I ended up watching yeah. through all the movies last year I think because oh wow I don't remember why exactly but I I realized I didn't have any memory of them anymore <laughs> so it's like <laughs> so it's like oh I was like oh like and now I I barely do now but I remember I mean there's them there's the bit. problem if you watch a lot of them they absolutely blur into one <laughs> that's true of everything like, I watch I think but, <laughs> Mission, Mission, Mission Impossible one. I can I can isolate from the rest. The rest of them yeah. are, are still just one long, kind of trippy dream where Tom Cruise has done some crazy shit. I don't remember the yeah. plot of any of yeah. them. 
I remember number four was really nice. I, I think that was really good. As like that was the one that was directed by Brad Bird, who directed The Incredibles. So that was very well scripted action, and you can see, like, and it had set pieces that worked well. It wasn't just necessarily like a Fast and Furious thing where it's just like you know just a blur of set pieces that just seemed unnecessary. Unnecessary. I think mm. four four stands out as my favorite of all of them. Probably mm. followed by one and or six equally. Six was the last one that came out. I think it was it Rogue Nation? Six was Fallout. Ghost Protocol? Fallout. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Next one, Starfield. Anyway. Sorry. It was there. Sorry. I would like to say <laughs> it feels well-timed, this one. There is a lot of stuff on AI and sort of gotcha. scary right. future technology. Um, also a submarine hmm. so the whole movie i was very like wow <laughs> this is unfortunately slash very fortunately timed huh. but <laughs> fair enough being being part one of two parts it's hard to say if it's good or not because i haven't seen the ending <laughs> it was like no time to die when that came out that was also like talking about a global super virus that was manufactured you know by secret organizations so that was also a weird slash fortunately timed movie <laughs> that way i like the idea of someone like seeing a tra- like watching the trailer seeing a submarine and going oh i remember that and then going to watch mission impossible <laughs> um i was gonna uh, the reason i was bringing up that i watched him is that I, I think my only real memory of watching like uh, mission impossible 2 was tom cruise having long hair and looking different <laughs> in a way that he yes. doesn't he looks quite yes. different from the rest of the films um, yes. every, and, every um, other film a lot. <laughs> every other film tom cruise is quite well presented you know hair hair cut short he's wearing his nice suits mission impossible yeah. too he's off in his Two, tank no. he's in his tank tops he's got his mullet it's wild yeah oh, and everyone's just on? smiling creepily yeah, Mission Impossible Two was, is bad. Yeah. The rest of them are worth watching. John it was Woo, a very that is, that's it. two thousand. Also, I don't think it's John Woo's best work. I'll, I'll put it out there. I'll, you know, I'll take the bullet. I'll, I'll you know, unpopular <laughs> opinion. What's he gonna say? The, the script was like forty-five pages long, so there is so much slow mo just to pad it out. My, my yeah. wife doesn't know anything about John Woo, Hong Kong cinema, all that stuff. She's like, "Why is there so much slow mo in this?" I was like. That's that's this entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> if he took out the slow mo, I reckon you could get through Mission yeah. Impossible two in fifteen minutes. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like my wife is just like, like in the first five minutes, she's like, "Why is Tom Cruise climbing? When like, why is he doing this? Like, what is the reason for this? Because it's badass. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you mean why is Tom Cruise doing this? Just sums up his career for the last twenty years, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, Do you know why he's doing it? Money. I don't think there has been a single year where I have not said the phrase, why is Tom Cruise doing this? I like how you said money. (laughs) I like how you said money, but the actual, like, if you extend that sentence further, it's because he has too much of it. (laughs) Not because he's making more by doing it. (laughs) He just has a lot. Um, He has um, so much money and not enough survival instinct. And I forgot that Brian De Palma was the director of the first one. Like, the guy who made Scarface, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he did Scarface, The Untouchable, 
after Carlito's Way, it was um that movie, which I think didn't Carlito's Way win a like it won awards, right? Anyway. Um, I do remember the first yeah. one being shot really nicely, actually. No, I remember. I remember it, like cinematography being mm. very nice. Um, like actual effort. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask, though. It's like, even though we have been talking about how they all just blend together into a slurry, but as a as a, as a a seventh entry, would you rank it in any particular way yet? Oh, I mean, no. It's hard, hard to tell just yet. It was, right. it was fine. Not as good as four, not as good as six, not as good as one. Probably better than two and three. Right. Like, yeah. And then five. Just five is in there, there. in there somewhere. I've had a really hard time yeah. remembering five, actually. I remember the other ones I, a little bit. I, just, I, rem- I think I that's remember the one where the, he's driving backwards. That's all I remember. I remember the cold open to five where he hangs on the outside of the plane. All right. Oh, okay. That's, I think, that's yeah. that one. Yeah. I think five's the one with the opera scene too. Yeah. Um, so, otherwise, I don't remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the the marketing for five was all about Tom Cruise hangs the plane, on the side right? of the plane, and then that is literally the first scene. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I watched number four without watching two and three is because it was that was the movie that had the preview of The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> That was the movie, so that's why we went to. I think we went to IMAX to watch it, just because it had the the like the preview, and and it was the preview before they, f- it was the the initial preview where everyone complained that no one could understand Bane, and so they they redid the audio for oh, the, that like, the final release. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, that one. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was my week. Nice. Yeah. This is the Maybe bit where I, I yeah. take off my face and reveal that I'm, act- <laughs> I'm actually Jake. <laughs> and then you take the mask off again and then you're somehow a Gex. <laughs> I, I, limited, I limited my Gex chat to a Gex segment. <laughs> I've I've kept it alive, and I I appreciate it. <laughs> I brought it back. Yeah. Much much um, much like yeah. how a lizard can regrow its tail, Gex will keep coming back <laughs> every podcast episode. <laughs> well, I'm 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 excited for next week because uh, th- tomorrow we're watching Barbie, and then on Sunday I'm watching Oppenheimer. So, Excellent. Let's get keen for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got to be Whiplash, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I'm going to be watching Barbie on Saturday, actually, so hopefully that works oh, out. Oh, nice, my, nice. My cinema isn't showing Barbie or Oppenheimer, so I'm going to have to take a road trip <laughs> They're out. They're boycotting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to road, road trip out to Wagga, two and a half hours, yep. so I'm going to watch them both. Uh, and and, I'm, and I in, insisted on watching Oppenheimer in, in film, like 70 mil film, because it's like, how many times do you get to do that? So, like, yeah. Yeah, fair uh, enough. We'll see. They'll, they'll be... I'm excited. It's like I've actually. It's like I've been excited for a movie in a while, compared to like <laughs> you watch so like many of them. <laughs> yeah, I know I do, but that's because the deal is my wife likes popcorn and I like movies, so it's the perfect way to, you know, <laughs> we we both get something out of it. <laughs> I made, I made a, a joke about being really keen for Barbie, uh, to a elderly man at my cinema after Mission Impossible. I think he thought I was joking. Right. Just, clearly you have not seen the trailers for Barbie because it's going to be brilliant <laughs> I, this should be cool yeah. I am 100% my, my wife is so stoked for it like, 
She's got Barbie. She's ordered Barbie everything. So it'll be, uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll all three of us will have Barbie re- uh, like Match? <laughs> reactions. <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> next, next week, all Barbie all the time. It'll be the first film to unite <laughs> all double jump. <laughs> be Barbie. <laughs> not a game, not Zelda, it's, not anything like that. It's going to be Barbie. Barbie. We'll resolve this endless conflict on the podcast. <laughs> Speaking of resolving conflicts, let's uh, put the show to the, <laughs> to rest and uh, sign an armistice. And say thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of Double Jump Radio. As always, uh, folks, you can head over to uh, doublejump.co, read uh, the articles coming up uh, next week, and find our social media and links to our Discord. Uh, I'll chuck a link to our Discord in the, the show notes as well. But thank you, everyone. It's it's always, always uh, a pleasure getting to, to talk with these two gentlemen here. John, thank you, my friend. Love, love, loving the beard, loving the, loving the, uh, the Halo talk and the the Japanese wrestling. Always, always welcome here. Oh, good, because it's gonna keep happening. <laughs> <laughs> Got a whole month. Yeah. <laughs> Kai, th- w- welcome back. Oh, and uh, yeah, loving, loving that beard as well. And the, and the, the Gex talk is always welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Uh, let's uh let's see next week what uh what classic franchise we can make happen in in two years (laughs) until then stay gexing (laughs) stay gexing (laughs) gex out (laughs) it's tail time (laughs) it's tail time it's tail time (laughs) well you've got to to close us out with that man it's yeah, tail time. Yeah. It's tail I was, time. I was, I think it's like, oh, I should save it until I, like, so I reference that much. Well, how about we, uh, we bring this to a close then. <laughs> until next time, everyone, look out for one another. Peace. It's tail time. It's tail time. <laughs>